This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Sharon and Eric Lopez. Well, it feels good to be ranked. I mean, I don't know if we're the 25th best podcast on SB Nation, but like, I'll, t- I'll take 25 in the cow. Co- I'll take it. I mean, how many podcasts do we have on this thing? 300 some? Yeah. Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. I'm Jeff Sharon. We have a busy show today. We're kind of doing this one in pieces. We got a lot to talk about on this show. First segment, we're going to preview UCF and Memphis. The Knights coming off the huge win against Cincinnati. Stat boy Drew is here. Andrew Glukov, the college football hipster, the master of the non-secretor himself, uh, is going to talk about uh, that game a little bit later on. Eric Lopez is going to join us uh, to talk about the huge news dropping from the Big 12 uh, in terms of the uh, both the media deal, which we went over in depth on our site, blackandgoldbanneret.com, and then also late breaking on Wednesday afternoon, evening, Gonzaga reportedly in talks to join the Big 12. Whoa! <laughs> uh, Brett Yormark out here just like throwing grenades into the news cycle everywhere, but um, and later on, we'll obviously talk, uh, we'll preview the UCF, uh, the, uh, uh, or excuse me, the American women's soccer tournament hosted by UCF, as well as uh, UCF men's soccer, seeing their season come to an end, we'll get you the latest on volleyball. But first, let's get in with stat boy Drew here, Andrew Glukov, who, uh, you know, is, is still n- not overly thrilled about all the nicknames that I used for him. Uh, <laughs> it, it, both, yes, my uh, name is Andrew Glukov, and I do not yes. approve that message. <laughs> yeah, well, it's yeah, happy election day on that one. Well, good luck. Um, but uh, uh, Drew, let's let's dive in with right away with the right now of uh, UCF coming off of the 34 13 loss at ECU, getting the win over Cincinnati at home on homecoming, number 20 Cincinnati. Uh, on uh, Saturday afternoon, 25-21. And just so many storylines coming off of this. Uh, The Knights were down 13-12 to at the start of the fourth uh, and uh, and scored uh, touchdowns on their last two possessions uh, in order to get the uh, 25-21 victory over Cincinnati in, in what was a game that I thought was this is as hard fought as we thought it would be, but the big story obvious coming out of that, aside from the result, is uh, John Rice Plumley going down with what appeared to be a concussion late in the first half, and Mikey Keene drops in, having not taken a single snap all season. Remember, any, uh, it, was, uh, it was only Tommy Castellanos who came in in garbage time in a couple games this year but Keen comes in and it was a little rocky at first, but after they went into halftime, figured out what they were going to do. Keen finished the day 15 of 21 for 176 yards, no touchdowns, no picks, no sacks given up. Uh, he did rush once for nine yards, um, but led UCF on four drives uh, deep into Cincinnati territory. Now the first two, were uh were were, were or, excuse, or excuse me f- uh, five drives 
uh, in total, excluding the uh, kneel down at the end of the game, the first two res- uh, were down to it deep into Cincinnati territory within the red zone, resulting in fumbles. They were both 11 play drives. UCF should have, I mean, I think you and I both agree we should have gotten two touchdowns off of those drives because Cincinnati wasn't doing anything to stop them. There was one uh, punt and then 13 plays, 77 yards TD, seven plays, 75 yards TD with 48 seconds to go. RJ Harvey getting the winning score. And all of a sudden, Mikey, the legend of Mikey Keene is back. And here he is, man. And uh, we don't know who's going to get the start against Memphis this week. John Rice Plumley is listed as QB1. Uh, however, it is anyone's guess as to whether or not that's going to actually be the case. And I think if anyone saw the hit on Saturday, um, you know, I, I, I think right now it's a coin flip, to be honest with you. I, I, we don't have any insight on it. And I think that's probably exactly how Gus and the coaching staff want it to be. They want Memphis to guess as much as humanly possible. But Mikey Keene, man, got the job done on Saturday. Wow. The team, the team rallied, you know, yeah. and, and a lot of times it takes something bad happening for that spark. And, and there's a few angles you can look here. There's a few angles. Uh, one is your game plan for one type of quarterback. And now you have a second half with a completely different one that you have no game plan design. Right. Didn't, and and didn't I, watch any film on. Yeah. I, I think that actually helped Keen a lot is he was a complete unknown. And the fact that he hasn't played was by design. Uh, uh, Gus Melzon flat out said they were trying, they're trying to preserve his red shirt. So yeah, you use Thomas, uh, uh, Thomas Castellanos. He got his four games in mm-hmm. used up the allotment for his red shirt. And now Mikey King has used one of his four. He still has three more games available. And, and we have to take a step back and, and be conservative when it comes to how to handle concussion. It concussions are tricky. And mm-hmm. players heal at different speeds. Uh, sometimes you guys who have it minor can be back the next week. I also then give you the cautionary tale of Cleveland Browns defensive back Denzel Ward, who got a concussion in week five, three weeks ago. And, is, and now they're moving into week nine and is still in the concussion protocol. So mm-hmm. concussions are, it's not like a broken arm, which has a pretty set healing time. And uh, concussions can be really tricky. Uh, I've seen I, it where guys have missed bunts because the concussion symptoms yeah. just didn't go away. I, I remember uh, similar to that. Like I remember back in the nineties, Boomer Esiason talked about it when he was with the New York jets. And, and this was when we were only just beginning to understand what a concussion actually was. And uh, I remember there was this one particular season where he had spent like four or five weeks out with a concussion and concussion was usually a thing where like, if it was bad, you just missed the rest of the game and then you came back the next week and but 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 he didn't come back and and you know how new york media is you know they're they're why aren't you coming back why aren't you coming back and he said after that season he said you know after i got it i still had symptoms of this and he and and i'll never forget the quote that he said he said he waited until the veil of fogginess lifted and then he felt like he was ready to come back and i thought that that was a pretty good explanation from it so i guess the question you know yeah Obviously, John Rice Plumley wants to play, right? I mean, like, why wouldn't he? But um, it's one of those things where we, you know, you, you as a coach, if you're Gus Malzahn, if you're Chip Lindsay, you want your players to be like, you know, in a situation like that to say, as of course, obviously, if you're the team doctor, to say, hey, like, 
tell me when that veil of fogginess lifts. Okay, then you're okay to go. And even then, you sometimes have to kind of coax it out of them. They may tell you one thing. That's why you go through a battery of tests. They're looking yeah. for looking for slip-ups. They're looking for inconsistencies. Because mm-hmm. you're right, players want to play. And if you ever ask a player, should you play? They're always going to answer yes. Yeah. Otherwise, like they're early. They're 21, they 22. There? Right. They're 21, 22-year-old kids. They're like, you know, yeah. ah, you this go, is fine. You well, know. if you go ask Mikey King today, hey, should you be the guy? What's he going to say? No. You ask John Rice Plumley, hey, should you be out there playing? What's he going to say? No. No, of course not. They're going to say yes. It is your job as the team doctors in the case of John Rice Plumley to prove whether he's ready or is not. And it's not mm-hmm. his call. You know, he, he'll, he may give you some information, but you've got to, you go through that medical battery to make sure that he's just not telling you what you want to hear, that yeah. he really is ready. Cause the last thing I mean, after the whole, uh, uh, to an injury in for the dolphins, uh, the yeah. last thing you want is something like that happening. I mean, people that were, was were scary. scared out of their minds. Well, when, when rightfully the, so. <laughs> when he when he had the the what's it called the fencing defense? It's called call it. posturing. It's it's a now I'm not a doctor again, but it's it's called pot that second when the second game on the Thursday when he got hit and he got knocked out of the game, and you saw his hands kind of you know contort. like that's contort. That's called posturing, and that's that indicates a possible injury to his brainstem, and that's yeah, that's, that's dangerous. Scary. If you herniate your brainstem, you die. So. And, and you look at Plumlee's hit, you know, if you see a reverse angle of it, he first gets the helmet to helmet hit, which, yeah. you know, knocks him back. But what really gets him wasn't that. It was when he hit the ground, he bounced on the side of his helmet like a, like a ball. Oh, it, it looked to me like the hit on his helmet, which, by the way, was not flagged for targeting. Should have been. That is, uh, that, that was, that was, should have been flagged for targeting. Which was bizarre to me. Um, it looked to me like the way his head hit the ground. And again, here I am, you know, it's treading the, well, on ground that I'm, I'm not over the side of his head. It, well, it, well, it looked to me like the, the initial hit with the helmet knocked him out. And then he would, and then the way he hit the ground was like, like he might've been out at that point when he hit the ground, either way, the, the person who deserves, I think a little bit of credit there. I don't know who the official was over there, but he picked him up and kind of checked on him. And like, had, did you see, like, he kind of had him by the Jersey just, just to kind of see like, is this kid okay? Because he was about to run right back to the huddle. And then he, and then he kind of stumbled and wobbled. And then they were like, okay, let's, you need to get out. You need to get out of the game right now. And they, so they credit to that guy for, for, for looking out for JRP because like how many, how many millions of times in his life has he just run back to the huddle? Right. So. All right. Well, that's what we are trained to do. Yeah. You're trained to go back that, you know, although you know, when you're when you're linemen are hobbling after plays because, I mean, they, they get rolled up on, they still go back to the huddle. I mean, you're trained right. to to fight through the injury and it's viewed as a negative if you don't. So, uh, you know, you go back in. Uh, but that mm-hmm. that's actually where a ref kind of, it's not specifically written in your job description, but it, I mean, it really should be added. But it, that's, the refs also keep an eye on the game itself. Mm-hmm. He saw the hard hit. He probably heard something at the sideline uh, enough that it caught his attention and his concern. And while I know some people online complained, oh, maybe he caused the stumbling. 
No, I don't. I don't believe that at all. No, I don't believe that. No, uh, I, I think if you look at it, it's it's pretty fact, obvious he was he was very badly hurt. Yeah, the fact that he was it was confirmed a concussion by by Melzon later. Uh, you knew it's serious. I mean, no concussion. I've had a concussion before, and it sucked. And it was minor compared to what some of these other ones get. Yeah. Uh, you don't you don't play with that. Um, you know, we've seen what CTE does to a person's brain and stuff. Um, you don't play games when brain injuries come into play. We're talking about a person's life here. So I, I actually give the ref a lot of credit, you know, keeping an eye on it. And immediately uh, medical team sprung into action the moment uh, Plumley stumbled. Uh, they didn't, mm-hmm. There was no hesitation at all. And that's what a good staff does. Yeah. And it's not popular. And it put UCF in a situation where they had to regroup real quick. But you know what? That's that's the part of the dark side of the sport. And uh, much like last year, when Keen had to come in for Dylan Gabriel, the team rallied. They mm-hmm. Rallied. You know, they could have folded. And they rallied. Same thing here. They could have folded, but they rallied. And yeah. and took advantage of the fact that there was no game plan for for Keen. They actually, the offense game plan, changed their game plan to fit Keen's strengths, which was keep the ball within 15 yards, uh, you know, and, and use that, that short third. He was crisp. He was accurate. He was comfortable. And they kept the deep ball away because, you know, that's his weak spot. Right. Uh, he, it's his arm strength. Uh, it's, it's, not, it's not as well developed. So, you know, they maximized what he could do. They actually started to to use the pass to set up the run instead of the other way around, and since they didn't know what to do with it, and it yeah. worked. Yeah, I mean, they they did play to his strengths, I, I, and and the thing that I I enjoyed the most was it, it, we did see a much more confident Mikey Keene out there, I think, than we saw even even in the Gasparilla Bowl last year. A guy who was much more confident in his arm. You know, I I think that you. Know, I think that he knew, uh, like you said, I mean, they, they didn't really try too many downfield shots because that's not, you know, it, it, the, the further away you, the, the further away you get from the line of scrimmage, the more his accuracy deteriorates. But within 15 yards, he is deadly accurate, mm-hmm. and 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 we saw that on the timing patterns that he was able to hit to Javon Baker, to Kobe Hut, the the one throw to Kobe Hudson. I thought on that last drive was was probably the throw of the night, and. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it, it, the game came down to the end, but I'll tell you, it, the, the one issue was, you know, the, the I mean, you could go back and look at the two turnovers, but really only one of them was kind of his fault because he, th- there was a mix up between him and Harvey on like on the exchange where, you know, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, it's, it's, it's a read option. You put the ball in his, it, you know, in his bread basket and then you pull it out and they kind of, and they fumbled that. There. There was confusion. Yeah, it looked like it looked like Harvey was trying to like, okay, I'm getting it now, and then and then Mikey's like, wait, 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 and then you know nobody made the decision. Yeah, the other and then one the was just up on the perfect hit. Yeah, the other one was just a, a great hit on 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 Bowser, which obviously wasn't Keen's fault at all. But um, but you know, nonetheless, now you head into this Memphis game where UCF is a three and a half point favorite at the Liberty Bowl. Um, Opening line was six, by the way. That has me a little worried. But well, that um, doesn't surprise me, too, in all honesty, because UCF does not have a good track record as a road team. You know, once they leave the state of Florida, their record's one in five under Gus Melzano. That's yeah. terrible. 
So yeah, I, that, and the one win is was at Temple, Temple last yeah. year. So, so I mean, you're not that's not a good track record. So you know that the Vegas line is going to take that into consideration. They also don't know who's starting, and and the fact that that um, John Rice Plumley still listed as QB one uh, should be taken with a grain of salt. Remember when UCF changed their kicker and punter? The other guys were still listed as number one in the mm-hmm. game notes going into those games. Uh, it wasn't until after the fact. So the fact that he's listed as QB1 shouldn't, you know, I, I would take it with a grain of salt. One, you, you don't know what his status is. Uh, you know, they're probably still taking it day by day as, as they did earlier in the week. Mm-hmm. Two, it creates a lot of confusion and misdirection with Memphis. Who do you game plan for? Right. These are two they have very to spend different two, quarterbacks. Right. They have to spend two times the amount of time preparing than they normally would. Yep. And this is for a team that, you know, in UCF, um, I'm looking at the conference stats right now. UCF right now is their offense is seventh in the conference in total yards per game, but second in total rushing, interestingly enough, right behind Navy, which you almost have to kind of throw that out because Navy is Navy. Um Whereas Memphis on defense, they are ninth in the conference in total defense. Uh, their rush defense is pretty good. Their their rush defense is uh, is is well. I'm looking at it right here. They've given up uh, seventh best in in the conference in rush defense, uh, and they've also given up. They give up quite a bit uh, on the pass. They, they give up, uh, they're eighth in the conference in, in passing yards given up. So yeah, they give up over 280 yards average on the pass. Yeah. So so their defense, yeah, their defense is struggling third worst total in the, in in the conference, but their strength, as you've talked about many times is on offense. They're third in the conference in total offense. And a lot of that, uh, you know, has to do, um, with uh, this quarterback that they found. And, uh, mm-hmm. and I know you've been talking about him uh, quite a bit, but, uh, it, it, but I, wanted to, uh, I wanted to go over it with you because Seth Hennigan has been, he's been up and down this year, but man, Memphis just, there's, there's something scrappy about this Memphis team in particular that's now rebuilding after the whole, uh, you know, uh, uh, the whole Daryl Henderson era, right? Where, this team can, they're pretty scrappy right now, even though they come in, you know, kind of hovering around 500, they, they should have beaten Houston. I don't know should how have Houston, beaten Houston should have been East Carolina. They lost by yeah. two. Yeah. And then they lost by 10 away at Tulane. I mean, they started off four and one, they've lost three in a row. So I mean, don't let the record fool. And I think that's where Vegas is going with this. Don't let the record fool you. Uh, they've been really close on these games. And I don't think they, you know, they shouldn't be, you know, taken lightly. Uh, you know, that Houston one, yeah, that was home. But other than that, you know, they're those four, those, you know, three of those four wins were all at home. Yeah. And they were all by double digits. Now they lost that Tulane uh, in their previous game by 10, 38 to 28. Um, but that was, uh, that was, or was that two weeks ago? Yeah. yeah so that was they're coming off a of bye week here. Yeah, they're coming Tulane off a bye exploded week. Yeah. To start that game and, and Memphis started coming back. Yeah, they, they just were up, ran out Tulane, of time. Tulane was up 35 nothing at the half. Yeah. And then Memphis outscored them 28 to 3 in the second half and just they ran, ran out, out of, of gas. Yeah. But uh 
this is a Memphis team that now is coming off a bye. And I'm always scared of a team at home coming off of a bye. They're rested. They're well-prepared. Mm-hmm. Um, this is going to be tougher than people think. I, I think this is, this is another, you know, part of me was scared going into the ECU game. And I, I got to be honest with you. I kind of have the same feeling now. Like it, it, it's, this there's something about like how how this thing could go you know especially early you know if memphis comes out well prepared they know that their season's kind of on the line right now with four games to go i don't know man this is gonna be tough what do you where do you see this one going well i i think you know i i believe memphis is gonna be a bowl team no doubt about it i mean you know, they, they've had some close ones. They still got three, you know, three more games after UCF that even if they lose the game, they can, they can win two of those three and, and go to a bowl game. So, I mean, it's, it's, any team that qualifies for a bowl at least is worthy of, of some respect. And, you know, we look at the offense for Memphis, their specialties in the pass. Where is UCF weak on defense? Against the pass. Yeah, uh, they, and we saw that last week with what Cincinnati was doing against you. They they sold out with Bryant trying to throw the ball, and for and there were occasions where that worked because you know UCF did hold Cincinnati to just I think the end total was thirty five yards rushing, but yeah, 20, it was like 20, 55 it was fifty five, and then they had that long loss on the second to last play of the game, um, or third to last play of the game, I should say, and um, you know that which which was a twenty yard loss, but still fifty five yards rushing is. Is not right. a lot, but but Cincinnati, but Cincinnati attacked UCF via the pass, and it was working. Well, UCF's defense plays very soft coverage. They don't create turnovers. They've had one interception in the last six games, two all year. Which is shocking to me. Very different than what we've seen in, in previous years. This, this is just a, a, cover, a defensive setup that's very much keep the guy in front of you, don't take risks. Like Mm -hmm. there was one particular pass against Cincinnati in the first half last week where I think it was Corey Thornton had a play on the ball and he sat back and to make the tackle instead of the risk of potentially missing the ball and a big gain, he ended up giving, I think it was like 12 yards on the play or something. It was a, it it was a, a first down, but that's been the philosophy all year. And Holton Ehlers absolutely shoot him up over it um you know seth hennigan can do the same thing i mean we talk about seth hennigan he's got over 2200 yards passing on the year uh you know 15 touchdowns five interceptions with ucf's inability to create interceptions uh, i i'm hennigan's five interceptions should not be that much of a worry mm-hmm. for 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 memphis I mean, he's just under 65 percent completion rate he's a better overall passer than Holden Ehlers as far as just like at the whole bill work. True. But, but I mean, he knows how to move the ball around and, and throw the ball around and distribute it because he's got three, you know, four, actually he's got four receivers over 400, over 300 yards receiving. Uh, he has Gabriel Rogers. He has Kane uh, corn He's got Jason Ivy and, and Eddie Lewis. And, and 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 Joseph Skates all have over 300 yards receiving. So he can move the ball around. He doesn't focus on a single guy because there's none of them have 400 yards. They're all over three, but none has right. four. So, I mean, he 
He, he can scan the field. He can pick his targets. And with UCF playing as soft as they have been all year, there's going to be opportunity to move the ball downfield in the air. They're going to sell out in the air. They're not a running team. The team leading rusher has 264 yards on the year, yeah. which is, uh, you know, not all that much. UCF, when you if you include John Rice Plumley, has four players over that. Uh, <laughs> Bowser, Harvey, Richardson, and, and Plumley all have more than 264 yards on the year. So I mean, obviously, you see very different dynamic there, uh, and and that's you know we saw it at the very end of the game where where UCF's corner started playing tighter defense. They started uh, they didn't give as much cushion, uh, and, and you were starting to see a little bit better results. Yeah, they're going to have to do more of that if they're going to walk away from this. What do you make of the fact that the defense right now is 77th in the country in passing yards allowed, 235.6, but they're 21st in pass efficiency defense allowed at just 116.43. That's that's pretty good. What are they doing that, that if you're if you're ryan satterfield in memphis and you see that what are you saying how how are you planning to attack ucf from that perspective uh it comes down to the fact that that front seven is really good at disrupt at at causing problems in the past uh let's see ben bryant had seven quarterback hurries last week Mm -hmm. he he was moving around a lot he got hit a lot uh you know that defensive front did a lot of damage he was sacked four times uh, they 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 did a, among five players all of them within the front seven so i mean they that you know you yeah. look at those defensive ends Traymon, morris brash and, and josh selskar uh, those guys are really good at disrupting you got Mon- anthony montalvo ricky barber and, and lee hunter who rotates in on the defensive tackles uh, they're really tough in that yeah. front line and, and, and Selisgar is just they're boy, he's having it. And that kid is everywhere. I, I, I it's been unbelievable, man. Yeah. Hey, he's he's he lives in the backfield, uh, you know, on on both the run and the pass. I we knew he was a good pass rusher from last year, but man, I'll tell you, Josh Selisgar in the run stopping game has been truly uh, 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 is having a truly remarkable year. I got to pull up the numbers, but go ahead. Well, you've got Salskar is third in the team with 32 tackles, and Morris Brash is fourth at 29. So you've got your defensive ends, third and fourth. You got Jason Johnson and Jeremiah Jean Baptiste, one and two, you know, your top linebackers. So you got your two linebackers, your defensive ends. There's mm-hmm. your top four. And as you know, I always yeah. preach you don't want a defensive back as one of your top guys tackling. Devon Wilson, number five. So, uh, you know, that's a good, good setup. And, and TFLs, right? TF, oh, TFLs right now. Traymond Morris Brash has 10. Selisgar has five. That's second on the team. Gene Baptiste has four and a half. Uh, and uh, Jason Johnson is three and a half. Yeah. And then who's behind him with three? Anthony Montalvo, defensive tackle. Yep. Walter uh, so Yates, I mean, linebacker. Yeah. Uh, so I, you, you've got you know a great distribution between your defensive linemen and your linebackers, they're they're causing a lot of disruption. UCF's always been good at tackles for loss. Um, they've mm-hmm. always been good at that uh, in, in this modern modern era, which I kind of view as the post-George O'Leary era. They specialize in TFLs. 
sacks. Morris Brash with five sacks. Selscar with two. Gene Baptiste with one. Uh, yeah, and then you have a smattering of other guys who have one sack each. Uh, Montavo one and a half. He's the only one above above one other than uh, the other two. So you're you're seeing a lot of disruptions, and it's leading to, you know, defended passes. You're seeing throws that are a little more errant. They're a little more rushed. There's a little more air underneath it. They're not able to set as well. So like Corey Thornton has seven pass uh, pass defend defended, and and part of that is because he's getting these opportunities with the, these, these throws that just are a little bit off where he can, he can make a play, but because UCF's pass defense has been playing back, teams are focusing on, it. they're throwing more, which is going to help pad those stats more. The, the part that you got to be worried about is interceptions. Devon Wilson has two on the year. Devon Wilson is the only person with interceptions for UCF. Uh, so that's an area of concern. You'd expect with the ball being thrown more, you'd see more turnovers. You don't. You have, yeah. you know, even even like against Temple, there were no interceptions. You know, seventy. To, they scored seventy points and were just, you know, their defense was pretty solid. No turnovers, uh, like like in the air. You know, no interceptions made. And, and that's where my biggest concern for this defense is. And you know. I'll say that last week's game wasn't, you know, I, as, as a whole bill of work, I call it not pretty because it shouldn't, one, it should never have been close. This, it should have been, it should not have been a close game. UCF left two touchdowns on the field, fumbling in the red zone, and they allowed an okay quarterback to look like a great quarterback. Uh, and it, it could have been a lot worse, you know, with the, with the, the defense playing that it was in pass coverage. So, you know, against a better quarterback, Seth Hennigan, I have concerns that defensive front is going to have to play lights out. You can't have them get caught up in the line like they did against ECU. They're going to have to break through like they did against Cincinnati. They don't pressure Hennigan. It's going to be a long night. Yeah. Um, Hennigan, I just wanted to go over this real quick, you know, like, because, you know, he, we saw what UCF was able to do to Tanner Mordecai. Uh, who's the number one passer in the American uh, right now at uh, 302.3 yards per game, but Hannigan's second behind him at 300. Uh, And those are the only two guys averaging 300 plus uh, in the conference um, this year. Now Hannigan's completion percentage is, is relatively low. He's below 60%, but 25 TDs, eight picks. Uh, Yeah. He does strike me as inaccurate. Uh, 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 many times, um, and uh, or, or it, it, which is a which is a little concerning. And, and that was, by the way, I'm, by the, I couldn't believe it. I was looking at actually last year's stats. I don't know why that. I was, like, I, I was thinking about. Yeah, that, that was wrong. Um, sorry yeah, about yeah. that. But he, okay. yeah, he's his 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 passing yard has actually gone down. He's averaging two seventy nine point five, fifteen touchdowns, five picks, and sixty five percent, like you said. So I'm sorry about that. But excuse me. Um. But still, Jeff's getting old. Yeah, I know I'm getting old. Uh, it's he still strikes me uh, in the games that I watched. He was a, he was uh, he was kind of shaky down the stretch against Houston. I think that was that was part of the reason why they lost they got on top of you know not being able to recover an onside kick. But um, it, it, late in games, he was a little shaky. I think he still kind of has has that 
that that youthful nervousness about him. So he's, which, a, he's a true sophomore, yeah, much like Mikey Keene is true sophomore. And uh, you know, the the big difference was he was thrown immediately to the Wolves, mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to who Keen was supposed to be, the second string guy, and he got forced in. Yeah, yeah, you know, last year. So there was a big difference there, and, and the the dynamic of the team is different. You know, UCF is built to run. They are mm-hmm. even more so this year than last year. They are a strong running back stable. And even 2021 had, had a strong running game, which helps alleviate the pressures on the quarterback. Mm-hmm. Memphis, not so much. They, they, they average 135 yards a game on the ground. I mean, this is not a running team. Right. Uh, this is and and Hennigan team. does get sacked a lot too. He's second. He's the second most sacked quarterback in the conference, which should be, very encouraging for UCF as that means that offensive line is failing, which is what you want to see because otherwise he's going to have time to pick apart that defensive backfield. Right. So you need to rush him. You need to make him uncomfortable. You need to hit him. I bet Brian, I give him a lot of credit. He took a lot of hits and he stood up. He, he, he would, he would stay standing, throw the ball, knowing he was going to take a hit and he didn't, he didn't let it affect yeah. his game. You know, that's, that's a fifth year senior. Exactly. That's what that is, yeah. So, so can you, you know, as we know, football's mental. Can we, can can we see the the defense? You know, when, you know, they play uh, obviously on ES uh, ESPN two, I believe, at three thirty Eastern. Uh, are we going to see them disrupt the mental fortitude of Seth Hannigan? You know, the true yeah. sophomore, or is he going to look like an upperclassman? Is he going to have the poise and and take the hits? Because you know. Uh, Yusuf's going to hit him at least a few times. Yeah. So uh, ESPN2, like Drew said, 3.30 p.m. Saturday at the Liberty Bowl. Uh, Seeing a bunch of people traveling out to see that game, too, which is kind of cool. Memphis is a fun trip. So I know. It's our last trip out there, too. It's part of the American, you know. So uh, who knows the next time we'll we'll, we'll be able to go back to Beale Street. But – but yeah, it should be a uh, it should be a tight one. Three thirty kick. I you know, like I said, I I don't know. I'm getting some ECU vibes from this one. I think it's going to be tight. Uh, ugh, man, I don't know, bro. This is going to be uh this is going to be this is going to be this is the this is the real show me game. I think uh, you know, regardless of who's playing quarterback, uh, how do you how do you handle? We've shown, we've seen what UCF can do handling, you know, coming back off of a failure, right? You know, they beat, they lose to Louisville, they come back, they beat FAU on the road and handle them. Uh, lose to ECU on the road, come back, beat number 20 Cincinnati. Uh, get themselves At into home, the top though. 25. At home. Still, you know, tough opponent. Rose up to the occasion. Um and uh, and got themselves to 25 in the uh, latest college football playoff. Saints. By the way, real quick, Drew, before we before we go to break, um, UCF twenty fifth in the CFP rankings, second highest G five team at the moment behind Tulane Green Wave, who are we have 19th. one loss and, and we they have one loss good this year. Yeah, and that and, was a close uh, loss. I think went to UCLA. Uh, I, I'll double check, but they, they beat uh, Kansas but, State. Yeah, that well they they go out to our UCF goes to New Orleans. Next week, and this is one of the other things that kind of frightens me a little bit. They lost to Southern Miss, Tulane did, by three at home. That's their only loss on the year. How do you, 
they're that close to being undefeated in this game. It's really unbelievable when you think about it, but they beat K state 17, 10. Uh, let's see. They beat, they won at Houston in overtime. Uh, and of course they beat Memphis at home by 10, even though, you know, Memphis kind of made a game of it. They got, they're at Tulsa this week, by the way. Um, man, uh, but if you're UCF, I think you got to be real careful here that you're not looking again ahead to that game and not focusing on what you have to do against Memphis. Hopefully, there's still a pretty short memory from not just last year's game, but also the year before when Dylan Gabriel threw for 600 yards and lost. So, you know, that's that. that hopefully, that sticks in a, a few guys' cross too, right? Well, you want you want them to remember the fact that hey, look what happened to ECU. Let's not let that happen again. We got to take one game at a time, and mm. this is a road game. Remember, these fans are not rooting for you. You're not going to have a good contingency of fans. I don't think traveling. they need a reminder of that. <laughs> it's the whole it's the whole package. As we know, you know, it's momentum such a big thing, and and look what happened in, in East Carolina. You know, you. The momentum was early established by East Carolina, by the Pirates. And then you have a, a fan base that doesn't like you. No one likes the team that wins. They don't like you. And, and they're just adding on to the energy. And it makes it that much harder to disrupt the momentum. Because look, mm-hmm. UCF gets the ball back. They score that first possession. And then nothing. You know, then ECU gets the ball yeah. back and they score. And it's like that drive never happened in the energy level because yeah. you know they were able to diffuse it and then the crowd just you know just ramped up that energy when UCF's on offense they they couldn't recover from it uh yeah. you know you're going to you're going to have the same issue in Memphis they don't like UCF you know the fact they finally got that that loss that losing streak monkey off their back you know is one thing but they're still a very it's a very lopsided series it's 14 to 2 right uh, you know, so I mean, it's very lopsided. There's a lot of deep-seated hatred, much like UCF basketball. UCF men's basketball really doesn't like Memphis because there's deep-seated stuff there. So you're going to run into similar problems that you're going to run into ECU. The question is, can you establish early and and neutralize the on-field play, which will then help neutralize the fans? Yeah. Uh, I, I do want to throw one more thing at me because yeah. you mentioned it. Because uh, there's still two more years left in the bowl rotation in these bowl contracts and who knows what the next contract is. But as of right now, the autos and Liberty bowl is a big 12 bowl. They play against the That's SEC. Right. Uh, it's, it's basically like close to fifth on their pecking order. Uh, so it is a conference tie in once UCF moves to the new conference. So they could end up back in Memphis hey. during the Liberty bowl, but obviously you wouldn't expect them to play the Memphis tigers. Yeah. Unless something really crazy happened. 3.30 kick on ESPN, too. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Beth Mowens and Kirk Morrison on the call for uh, ESPN, too. By the way, if you're wondering about what the TV ratings are going to look like, uh, just don't. Skip ahead to next next week because directly across from UCF is number one Georgia and number two Tennessee. Yeah, forget about it. CBS, so forget about it. But, uh, but, hey, look, we'll be watching – Hey, hopefully that game's a total blowout in favor of one or the other. And if our game's close, which again, hopefully it's not, but it might be, you know, let's then you never know. You never know what might happen. So, all right. Uh, 
we will be watching that one. We'll have night shift after that game as well. So make sure you stay, you stick around for that. And uh, let's go ahead and, t- and again, let's see if UCF can finish out against Memphis. Uh, last time we were there, it was that 50 to 49 game in the COVID year. So a uh, chance to get one more W in the Liberty Bowl before we leave uh, for the Big 12. Unless, of course, as Drew said, we go to the Liberty Bowl game uh, as a Big 12 team. So, all right, stick around. We get back. Massive news out of the Big 12. Two huge stories dropped. Media deal. Looks like it's done. And in addition to that, in addition to the details on that, who else is going to be joining the Big 12? We talk about Big 12 expansion all the time. Wow. Did we get a bombshell on Wednesday night on that one? Stick around. Black and Gold Banner Podcast. We're back after this. We are back here on the Black and Gold Banner Podcast. Jeff Sharon alongside Andrew Glukov and joining us now, Eric Lopez, to talk about what is really the biggest news of the week, which was, uh, which dropped, uh, when did this come down, Eric? Sunday? Sunday, Sunday. Uh, uh, John Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Big 12's new media deal. Yeah, Uh, it was uh, first broken by Sports Business Journal, John Aran and uh, Michael Smith. Michael Smith, by the way, friend of the pod, we've had on the show before many moons ago. Maybe we can get them on again a little bit later. Uh, ESPN and Fox reportedly uh, reaching an agreement with the Big 12 Conference on a six-year extension of the current media deal. That's how it was termed because, remember, they opened up the negotiating window early, which means it did not go to the open market. Six-year extension worth $2.28 billion, which breaks down to an average of $380 million per year spread out amongst the 12 remaining members of the Big 12. Remember, we're going to have Texas and Oklahoma crossover for a little bit. By the end of the deal, you're looking at about an average of 31 and two-thirds million dollars per year to each each member. Now, it's important to note that the deal has not officially been announced yet or confirmed by Fox Fox or ESPN or the Big 12 itself. At least as of this recording. At least as of this moment. At least. 12.30 12.30 p.m. on Thursday, November 3rd. So, uh, all right. Here's what we know about the terms. There is expected to be a grant of rights, which will essentially lock in the membership through 2030, 2031, the length of the deal. Because in a grant of rights, if you leave the conference, you have to pay an exit fee and you forfeit your media payouts for the length of the contract. All right. Uh, There is also, according to Andrew Marchand uh, in his reporting, which he did on he does a podcast with John Aran, which Eric listens to all the time, uh, is a what's called a pro rata clause. Now, for those of you who may have heard that, don't remember what it is. If a uh, pro rata clause means that if a if a school decides to join the Big 12. All right the value of the contract goes up by the per school amount, all right? So, in, so th- if you envision it as a pie, all right, it's not the same pie divided by one more slice, which would make everyone's slice of the pie a little bit smaller. They would increase the size of the pie by one slice, okay? Uh, now, it's important to note here, this is one of the more interesting terms, of this the 
Grow Radiclaws is only on the ESPN side of the deal, at least as of right now, from what we know, which is 63% of the money. All right. It is also, it also only would kick in if the team that joined the Big 12 was another Power 5 team. In other words, if you're Memphis, if you're SMU, if you're Boise State, if you're San Diego State, if you're South Florida, if you're ECU, good luck elsewhere because you are not joining the Big 12 Conference. Uh, if you're a Pac-12 team like the Four Corner Schools, you can join at a discount, uh, at least as of right now. Now, if Fox decides to change their mind and come on board with the pro radicals, that would drastically change the amount. But that's how it works for right now. Eric, you follow this more closely than anyone I know. Your reaction to this media deal with the Big 12. Yeah, obviously it's it's as you expected, somewhat of a haircut for the legacy eight schools, not as much as what was initially thought. Correct. But and a they, massive correct. windfall for UCF, Cincinnati, Houston, and BYU. Well, and I'll tell you that my reaction with Brett Yormark is I think he's creative enough. He's doing some creative things where, yes, maybe the, the, the TCUs and Iowa States are taking a slight haircut on the base salary, on the base per year, but they're going to make up for that in other ways, as we'll get into in this chat. But I think it's a win-win for everybody. I think the Big 12 got a really good deal here. They get to stay on ESPN, get to stay on Fox, mm-hmm. which are the two big networks when it comes to football. I don't think anybody can deny that. With respect to CBS and the 330 slot, that's really it. They're not a player like ESPN and Foxes yeah. and could potentially be, depending on how the postseason plays out with the with the playoff. And oh, by the way, I know how much a lot of UCF fans out there and also a lot of fans of other big school, Big 12 schools out there like to throw shade at ESPN, so to speak. I think that's a very kind way of putting it. Guess what? As you and I have both agreed on before and said many times on social media and on this podcast, if you're not on ESPN, you don't exist in the college football world. And if you don't believe us, ask the Mountain West how that's working out. Yeah, how many ranked teams do they have in the college football playoff? Wait, I'm keep looking. I'm looking. What? Who? I don't even know who's who's in the league again. Um, Zero. Oh, that's right. Zero. That's uh, how many. Correct. So... Uh, I think it's a good deal. Uh, you get to be on those two platforms. I think it's good for all the sports, too, because Tier 3 is going to stay on probably an ESPN Plus, which we've discussed at length on this. And I think the underrated part of this, and, you know, we've been highlighting this, Drew, for a while. I said basketball. Do not underestimate the importance of Big 12 basketball. ESPN didn't want to lose Big 12 basketball. So they keep that. And what was interesting to me is Fox is now going to get a piece of the Big 12 basketball, which is not good news for the Pac-12 uh, and their ne- upcoming right. negotiations. It's not good news for the Big East, by the way, who has their deal up for basketball with Fox in a couple years. I thought that was fascinating. I think it's a good deal for the the networks because it's content. And I think Brett Yormark uh, hit a home run here. And I think he's yeah. done a great job here uh, overall with this deal. Drew, I, I think everybody's got to be pleased all things considered considering a year and a half ago, a lot of people thought this deal that this league was in going to be dead and it wasn't. And I will say this, I think this doesn't happen if Bob Bowlesby still the commissioner. 
Oh, not at all. I remember it was Bowlesby that came out and said, hey, this, you know, we're going to lose half our value because Oklahoma and Texas are lose, are leaving. I, he was very doom and gloom on that. And and he kind of went off the rails a little bit. But, you know, he he served a purpose. He, he kind of played his time through. And they needed, you needed a guy like a shark. And, and you know, Terry Mohajer was was interviewed recently on Sirius XM's Big 12 radio. And, like, he knows Brett's brother, Michael Yormark, uh, who was president of the Florida Panthers. I've actually met him before. And they're sharks. You want to pick up that name over there that you just dropped? It's, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's his brother. Uh, you know, it's uh, Brett Yormark's brother, the uh, who uh, is now the commissioner of the Big 12. And, and he said, you know, personality-wise, they're very similar. They're, they're, as I said, they're sharks. And that's kind of what the conference needs at the moment because you know, you're seeing this aggressive moves by the, the Big Ten and the SEC of establishing market dominance. And, and there was a spot open for, for the third guy. And not only did he basically ignore like, oh, this is what he was being told that like this conference isn't worth much. It's just a bunch of guys who weren't brought in anywhere else. Oh, they're bringing some G5 schools. They're not worth anything. Now he went and he, he proved his case and sold the networks on not only maintaining a very strong deal, but actually paying more for this product. Mm -hmm. And I remember them saying when, when they went open this exclusive window early and one of the things they, he, he pointed out was uh, this opening of the window does not impact the actual window of say things didn't work out. They would still have a, an exclusive window later. So, I mean, there was no risk uh, at all for the networks to, to work on this. They, were, they would have had another opportunity. The pressure was actually in the Big 12 because they're trying to undercut the, 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 the dollars that the Pac-12 can get in. Because we know and the inventory too. Yeah, we know Brett Yormark is looking west to expand the conference. He's looking at those four corner schools. And there's no secret about it. It's worst kept secret right now. And they they he set himself up. You know, you got yourself one hell of a deal. Over $31 million per school per year for the next six years. Uh, the renewal period is just after the Big Ten, before the SEC. And they'll actually refresh this contract into something new before the ACC ever gets a chance to go to market. Uh, so I, I mean, basically everything that he possibly could have done right, he did. And yeah, yeah. he wanted four hundred million. You know what? Three eighty is awfully good. I, there, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, so, so I just, I, I'm, I'm floored at how good of a job he did as far as rallying the troops and getting the networks to buy into the product. Mm -hmm. um, right. Uh, a couple of details too, that I wanted to get, uh, that I wanted to get into about the deal in particular, where will the games air? Well, ESPN is basically the one a they get the, in terms of football, you know how the networks get to choose which games they want. ESPN gets the top four picks of the regular season, six of the top eight, eight of the top 12, 12 of the top 20. They get the Big 12 football championship and the basketball tournament. Fox gets Big 12 hoops, like you mentioned, Eric, for the very first time. They, they have not aired Big 12 hoops uh, in the previous deal. They now air Big 12 hoops. Um, 
the previous deal came, uh, by the way, was 20 million. By the way, you have all these details on blackandgoldbanneret.com. Uh, the previous deal was about 20 million per school. That's now gone up. Uh, and then obviously huge compared to the Americans. And I think this, this pretty much puts the Big 12 firmly in third place behind the Big 10, the SEC. We still have to wait and see what the Pac-12 decides to do. Uh, latest reports are th- they're thinking what Eric ESPN and Amazon, Amazon possibly, but yeah. no numbers really that they've thrown no, around. I haven't uh, seen anything. John Aran. Now John Aran on the, you mentioned the, where I tell you what, they better be like a sponsor or something. We got to get John Aran on just so we and say, thanks. Cause we've been plugging Martin and our ad for like a couple of months, but I know. Uh, they both reported on this week's edition of the podcast. Aran is reporting. He thinks that the PAC 12 will have a deal done, or at least a handshake deal done by Thanksgiving. And he would not be surprised if he thinks ESPN and Amazon might just split it 50-50. That's kind of what he thinks. Uh, things could change. He doesn't think Fox will get in the picture because there's just a bad relationship uh, right there with well, yeah, Kevin I mean, Fox. Well, I well, what yeah, Fox, Fox was pr- probably had a hand in getting USC and UCLA out of the Pac-12 into the Big Ten. Right. And so. then CBS and NBC are out. They have no interest because they just got the Big Ten. And I think that's why the Big 12 struck. Why would the Pac-12 want to deal with them either? <laughs> right. But I think that's why the Big 12 struck quickly. Because I think they knew if they didn't, you know, there's only certain amount of slots of, to, to be made available. So uh, they think what the Pac-12 might end up getting with 10 members. Keep in mind, they're at 10 right now. They might get a similar average, 30 to 31, but it only come, it'll come out to about 300 to 310. That's what Iran thinks will Not happen. Not the same total. Right. Not the same right. total. But a lot's going to depend on how hungry is Amazon to get involved in college football. That's the mystery. How much are they willing to pay? Because uh, I think ESPN kind of has a certain number. Can Amazon, and I think that's why Amazon's the key in this, how much are they able to push the Pac-12? And then the question is, if it is ESPN Amazon, if you're Arizona and Arizona State, uh, is that satisfactory enough, especially administrators and, and presidents and ADs, are you okay having your marquee football games most some half the time potentially on an Amazon versus being on Fox or ESPN, that might be what decides whether there's any movement at all of Pac-12 teams coming to the Big 12, I think. Uh, terms for UCF, this is according to Jason Beatty of the Orlando Sentinel. Uh, UCF and the other three new entrants don't get full shares their first two years, but they will get $18 million in 23. <laughs> Which is double, oh, yeah, that's more than double what they make More than now. double so what trust the me, American we're doing all right. Sorry, guys, Nin- you have to settle for only making twice as much. I'm yeah. sorry. Uh, 19 million in 24 and then full share starting with 2025. Once Oklahoma and Texas get out of the way, uh, tier three rights. Now it used to be in the big 12 that they would sell their tier three rights, which is like one non-conference football game, a few non-conference men's basketball games, and then basically everything else. They would be able to sell them. The schools would be able to sell them to whoever they want. That's how we ended up with the Longhorn network because Texas sold them to ESPN to create an entire network. Right. Most of the rest of the Big 12 sold their rights to the regional uh, networks, regional, the, the regional networks, you know, the former Fox Sports, which are now Valley Sports yep. uh, because they're owned by Sinclair. Well, those are a money pit right now. <laughs> and what and, and according to Pete Thamel of ESPN, those third tier rights are basically the whole selling your own third tier rights that goes away and, and ESPN is going to take those over and essentially fold them into ESPN plus, which is again, good news for UCF because 
ESPN Plus has been a tremendous boost for UCF's Olympic sports uh, over the years, as you and I both know personally. So, um, so that's at least good for uh, for ESPN. Plus, they had a previous uh, uh, previous uh, relationship with Big Twelve. Now, yeah. Uh, and by ESPN the way, and I, Plus. Can, and I can tell you, in talking to people in the know, uh, Big Twelve does strong numbers on ESPN plus like yeah. very big numbers. And this is the appeal that I think Brett Yormark has been able to sell is there's a passion of big 12 fans that support a lot of sports, not just football. There's passion there, mm-hmm. but men's basketball, women's basketball, volleyball, uh, softball. They just had three teams in the world series baseball. Mm-hmm. There's a passion there and people are watching the product, whether it's on plus, whether it's on linear television, that's, I think Brett Yormark, that's the credit I, I want to give them the most highlight because I think a lot of conferences are narrow-minded. Like, I think the ACC, when they, they didn't take advantage of their ACC basketball brand, everybody's always focused on the football, and we get that. But there are creative ways to make additional dollars beyond football. And I think Brett Yormark is taking advantage of having this power league in basketball, for example, and saying, hey, we can sell this. We This is a product, and you've got two networks to ba- buy the basketball product. And then, hey, we got great Olympic sports fans uh, for the Olympic sports, quote-unquote. You could We could have this on ESPN+, Plus, which is what ESPN wants. I think that's mm-hmm. why ESPN, really, honestly, I think that's why ESPN is still involved with the Pac-12, because I think part of the go, Andrew, you tell me if I'm wrong, I think ESPN's hoping to turn that Pac-12 network and bring that over to ESPN+, Plus and have Pac-12 content especially with the Olympic sports, the conference of champions on ESPN plus. <laughs> uh, well, I think they have to, I mean, yeah. the PAC 12 network has such bad carrier uh, uh, percentages. Sure. I, they, they can't get any, they can't get covered anywhere. No one wants yeah. them. So, I mean, you need to roll it in. And I thought when they laid off and start shuttering things down uh, in the PAC 12, I, I, my initial thought was it was going to end up with ESPN. And part of that and and you know look at what espn plus has become you know with the with the world of cord cut and stuff you actually don't need a conference network anymore to be successful big right. 12 doesn't have one but they've got so much stuff on espn plus they might as well you, you know who really proved that was the american mm-hmm. you know i mean it, 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 on a on a smaller scale the americans deal Remember, they jumped in before the Big 12 did with ESPN Plus. And remember, everyone was screaming and yelling about, oh, God, ESPN Plus. Guess what? It worked. It's been a big, it worked. And well, that's it has Magnus. Worked. That's Bert Magnus. I mean, yeah. it may not be familiar to some of the audience here, but he's one of the higher ups that negotiates a lot of these college deals for ESPN. Remember, Jeff, you and I covered that press conference, the, the conference call, when the mm-hmm. Americans struck the deal with ESPN. Who was in that conference call? It was Mike Oresco yep. and uh, Bert Magnus. And uh, I'll never forget that conference call because they explained their vision for ESPN Plus. There was a school in Northeast at the time in the league. They scoffed and like, what? We're, what are you talking about? We can't be on SNY? Uh, <laughs> um, wonder yeah, why guess what? Yeah. Look how that turned out. Yeah. Um, so, but that's the vision they have here. And I think with Big 12 now, and they do a lot of – they've done some re- uh, behind-the-scenes shows. They've followed Baylor basketball and stuff like that. So – there's that platform that you can have now. And more and more people now can stream games. It's 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 a big factor there. Yeah. By the way, it's funny you mentioned the UConn thing. They actually just announced that they are starting their own streaming digital network called UConn Plus. They better, they better be worried uh, because I do think this Big 12 deal could hurt the Big East because Fox, again, 
took piece of the basketball uh, that's going to take away some of the big east slots yeah if, you know the big east basketball went all in on fox where do they go in a couple of years that could be very interesting to follow same thing with the pac 12 here and, and that's the next step that i'm curious to find because as we found out on wednesday jeffrey basketball does play could play a big role in this well Perfect segue because we've kind of been dancing around this the last couple of questions. In drops Brett Yormark on about five o'clock Wednesday afternoon. Uh, actually, it's it, not so much Brett Yormark as much as it was Pete Thamel. Uh, Pete Thamel reports that the Big 12 has been in discussions with Gonzaga. To bring uh, AD, uh, according to Thamel, uh, AD Chris Standiford of Gonzaga has met with Big 12 Commissioner Brett Yormark in person in Texas last week about Gonzaga potentially joining the Big 12. Part of broader discussions that have unfolded in recent weeks between the Big 12 and Gonzaga. Now, before you freak out, yes, we know Gonzaga does not have football. Brett Yormark doesn't care. Uh, they are... Uh, uh, Again, Gonzaga is a Catholic school located in Spokane, Washington. All right. But we know how good they have been in basketball over the last 20 years. They've been looking to get out of the West Coast Conference for a significant amount of time. BYU was also in the West Coast Conference for basketball because they were an independent in football. Guess what? Thinking probably a prior relationship there. Okay. The travel uh, partner could be a tra travel tra partner. And it, now. All right, we talk about the Big 12 in basketball. This is, uh, I forget who it was who posted this. I'll have to put it up on Twitter. But somebody posted the uh, sort of the ratings for since 2018 for uh, 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 it, the top six teams are all either future or soon to be or expected to be Big 12 teams, except for Duke. <laughs> which which is kind of amazing uh when you really when you really think about it but um th that to me is just an absolute coup if they are really able to play oh it was will warren stats by will on twitter six best teams in ncaa men's basketball since 2018 uh per uh it's uh per uh bart torvik uh who's a, who's a pretty well-respected uh analyst uh are Gonzaga, Houston, Duke, Baylor, Kansas, Texas Tech. So five of those top six since 2018 are either still future or potential Big 12 members. And everybody say, well, what about Duke? Well, Coach K ain't walking through that door next year. So this is now a murderous basketball conference. And, RIP UCF basketball. Well, I mean, <laughs> listen, we'll get, uh, well, I well, let's, let's talk about that from a UCF perspective because, uh, you know, I've made the case before on social media and I got laughed at by people who are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. but um, UCF's investment in the is low by American athletic conference standards in basketball. In fact, it's third to last, last time we checked, according to budget numbers from April of 2020. Now you're heading into the Big 12. You got to deal with Houston, Kansas, Texas Tech, Baylor, possibly Gonzaga now. Cincinnati's still, Cincinnati's there. BYU invests a lot in basketball. There's still the non-zero. Texas and Oklahoma are still going to be Oklahoma here. Texas still going to be there for We've the first two years. Yeah, but... Uh, 
our program is going to be going up against that level of investment. Ladies and gentlemen, the time to invest in UCF basketball is now. Yes. Because, well, yeah, it's yesterday, but like, but because the, the arms race is going to get crazy in a hurry, isn't it, Eric? It is. Now, here, why is going, they're going after Gonzaga? What has Brett Yormark said? The fourth time zone, right? It's been highlighted. I think we've been focused on that from a football standpoint, but this applies to basketball too, especially when you're now you're going to air games on ESPN family and networks and on the Fox family and networks. You need content. So that's the Gonzaga reasoning. We'll see if that happens. Pac-12 has been trying to talk to him as well. We'll uh, Mark Few is going to decide where he's going to pl- uh, go. So that's the side. As far as the UCF, it's a great point because – and rightfully so, we're celebrating. UCF's going to make all this money. I've seen all the tweets about how UCF's going to make more money than Florida and Florida State and all these. And that's great. The biggest question would be how do they spend the money? And how wise do you spend the money? How well do you invest in the money? Yeah. That's going to be the key here because in basketball, in the Big 12, they spend a ton of money. They, a lot of Kansas spends money on basketball like most schools do on football. So yeah. how... Can UCF divide all that money and give basketball enough to support Drew? That's going to be the big question as we move forward. And you know this from your previous life when you covered that team's university in Tampa. That once upon a time they had money when they were in the Big East and they kind of threw it down the toilet, didn't they? Well, they 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 just sat. They got complacent. Well, and, and so on the interview that Terry did on Sirius XM Big Twelve Radio, they asked them. You know, how's the transition going? And he was very blunt of, we got work to do. Uh, facilities, support, basically UCF is near or at the bottom of the Big 12 across the board. And he's very upfront about it. Uh, UCF has, you know, has always, you know, taken a little and made a lot out of it. They've stretched a lot of things. Yeah. I mean, look at them, look at the stadium. It was built on the cheap because that's what they can afford. They've been able to stretch it. So UCF has a lot of work to do. They have facility work to do. They have personnel work to do. Uh, UCF needs to pay their their staffing. I, I There's a lot of things that have to be done. And that's what that whole, and he was talking, he brought into the whole, the Mission 12 piece, which is actually what this is all about, is about the goal is to get in the top half of the Big 12 from an operational budget by the time they join. So I'm Time's starting to run out on this. Uh, I don't know if they'll hit that goal, but they're at least trying. But UCF has more, more so than any of these other schools, a lot of work to do across the board, personnel, staff, facilities, everything needs mm-hmm. work, needs investment. And it's going to take time. This reminds me a little bit of when USF joined the Big East. They were the bottom team for years, or they were you know what was it 16 teams in the conference they were 15th or 16th every year maybe they hit 14 once uh, but it was every year uh, until they finally started to catch up a number of years down the road where they they started getting towards the middle but never they never really caught all the way up they ran out of time uh, i think that's very similar to what ucs going to do in men's basketball they're going to be at the bottom and it's going to be years before they get out they they need to improve the the operational budget. Yeah, they need to improve the recruiting budget. Sure. They need to make sure that the personnel is profit is is well funded so that they stick around because continuity matters. 
in these sports. Uh, they need to work on the facilities. That's where the big bucks come into play because you know facilities ain't cheap. Yeah. So I, there's so many pieces that have even football is behind when it comes to this stuff. Uh, you know, we we think you know football's all that in a bag of uh, bag of chips, but uh, the the truth is uh, they're way behind too on a lot of these things that need to be done to be competitive with what the the Big Twelve programs have. But the Big Twelve understands that they've they've accepted that they know UCF is a is a is a project. It's going to take time. And they're giving them the opportunity to do so. And which is, which, by the way, is what UCF fans have been clamoring for for decades anyway, right? Just give us a shot. Just give us a shot. Now uh, we got let the us shot. throw into it. You know, oh, the SEC fans, oh, if you played our schedule, you lose every game. Yeah, give us, you know, $70 million budget for a few years. Let's come back and talk about that. Same idea. It's going to be rough. UCF fans need to have very tempered expectations. It'll come around. But it's going to take time. It's going to take investment. And just because you're getting a bigger paycheck does not mean everything's going to be better immediately. It doesn't well, work got, that way. Well, now now's the time when you play the long game. Oh, this right? all, everything is being yeah, done. This is the long, the long game. game. Yeah. It's all about the long game. It's already kind of started, hasn't it? I mean, I think Terry struck first when he got a lot of the coaches on their extensions uh, through the Big 12, especially, you know, the, the, the women's Tiffany Robertson, Haydack, Scott Calabrese, yeah. coach, coach Ball Malone this offseason, et cetera, but et cetera. I, but I would say good. it's even longer. I, but, it's, but I would say it's even longer than that. Like, you got to be thinking now in that 10 to 20 year range. What's sure. the, where do you want UCF's facilities? Where do you want UCF's program profile to be in well, the next 10 to 20 years? And I think the, the, we've gotten off to a very good start with this with the shareholder society. I think we're going to see a lot more of these kinds of uh, of these kinds of projects start to happen because yeah, I, one of the things that I think that I thought was pretty interesting was it, it uh, and Drew, you probably saw this too, and Eric, the interview that Terry did, I think, with Jason Beatty, where he kind of tempered some of the things about the football campus a little bit, right, mm -hmm. Drew? Yes, uh, it was actually. Um, we, you know, we have our little message thread that we talk to each other. And that was one of the things that I talked about is that he's kind of tempered expectations. I put it on, on, on Twitter and public and some people got a little upset. Uh, but the truth is the stuff that he put in out there was kind of pie in the sky. I just got here. I've got these cool ideas thing. Reality setting in uh, the football state needs a lot of work, it needs a lot of work. Expansion yeah. actually isn't the highest priority there's basic stuff that has to be done now that requires that investment that would have gone to that right. so he and, and he kind of hinted to that again uh on that serious xm interview and he said keep an eye out in, in the upcoming weeks and in, in month or so and you'll start seeing a sound fact he, he hinted at some big 12 programs he also hinted about ucf's making revisions to their future plans going forward i think yeah he, he mentioned roth power more than once. Yeah. Uh, it sounds like there's some fundamental issues that need to be worked on with Roth Tower. I would not be surprised if there's other parts in the stadium where he's going to work the same thing. Uh, and, you know, you look 20, 30 years down the line, uh, you know, the stadium is going to have to be revamped. It's It, it Which, has a very limited, it actually, for a stadium, has a limited lifespan. It's a steel-based stadium, has a very limited lifespan. Uh, they're going to have to do a lot of retrofitting and renovating for that stadium to, to to stay in good shape for 20 30 years which is not 
it's not unusual. unusual. That's, the, that's the Florida State model. Right. Florida State built this steel stadium. It's what they could afford. And they've been, they retrofitted. They've added on over time. And, and right. that's totally cool. Uh, it just you have to have you have to have reasonable expectations and you got to take care of the fundamental aspects of the stadium of what's there before you can go to the next step of future development. Which, well, yeah, which is what I mean by like really playing the long game. It's like, hey, you know, all right. So now let's shore up some sections of the stadium. Um, does that mean that the bounce goes away if there's a little bit more concrete and a little bit less steel? I personally, yeah, personally, yeah. Um, you know, you want you want. Well, if, the, if, well, the if this stadium is going to serve us cool for a hundred years, like us, like some of the stadiums that we see in the league that we're heading to, right. Uh, you know, you're going to have to, you're, you're going to have to be okay with that. And you know, something I, as a fan, speaking as a fan, I, I, I think that's great. I love the idea of really investing long-term and like, and like, you know, it, it's kind of like the satisfaction you get from like paying down, you know, more than your minimum payment on your mortgage. You know, it's like you start to see your principal kind of come down and you're like, yeah, okay. You know, yeah, I'm still in the same house, but we're making some progress here. And, and I kind of like that. I, I kind of like that as a well, fan, I want to be a part of that. You like that because the, the, you want it so that rock tower isn't shaking by the time when the fans I are jumping up and down. I don't mind the shake. I'm telling you, I like, I, you know, I, it's funny, like, but, so first time, the first time kind of threw me off a little bit. Uh, so, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to name drop here. So I met Robert Griffin, the third at the last, at the last game. Cause he was, he was the analyst wow, for ESPN. Look at this. And I'm, I'm so excited. Cause Going I love Robert. I I'm loved so Robert. Listen, no, I love, God, I loved Robert Griffin, the third watching him play. I thought he was great. He was one of those fun quarterbacks in the last 25 years. But anyway, he's, he's like, y'all bringing the bounce. And I was like, I was like, do yourself a favor, grab a water bottle, put it on the windowsill in your booth. And the more shakiness you see, that's how, that's how crazy it gets. And he was right. So, Hey, uh, but listen, you know, overall, like, I don't mind that. I love it. I, I just, you know, I think now's the time when we, as a fan base, as an alumni base are like, okay, now we got to buckle down and get real here because this is this is this is the adulthood yeah we leagues now. well but yes. I, I will say this and, and you know you guys covered the cincinnati game and all that i mark daniels did a great job i think on his show he might have written about it on their site i think the cincinnati win will have a bigger impact long long term from that standpoint because that's a exciting game top 25 win it keeps that excitement going as you're going into the big 12 and you get more people to invest and the university and advance in the football program and help get some of this. Cause at the end of the day, you're going to need people to come in and support and uh, donate there. And the way to do that is get exciting wins like that one against Cincinnati to make people feel good about it and invest in it. That's winning. Always people are willing to spend money when, when you're winning. Yeah. Uh, that That's not winning. Winning is the great disinfectant. Is winning masks problems though. You know, well, let, let's, let's be honest. And this isn't just limited to UCF fans. And no pun intended, well, maybe slightly intended. The state, the fans within the state of Florida are a fickle fan base that uh, they they can be disrupted very easily because there's so many things to do in the state of Florida. Uh, it can take you, if, if you're not happy when things are going, you're going to find something else to do really easily. This isn't like... Well, it's a competitive field. I mean, entertainment, there's a lot. I mean, it's beyond, you're right, that the competitive field. You know, it's not the, like the state of Iowa. Where, where there's not much else to do. Uh, you know, this is Florida. There's, you know, 
most people are at least you know no more than an hour away from a beach you know there's there there's a lot of options there that'll take you away from a potential football game or or a basketball game or whatever so you need those marquee wins those marquee moments and yet uh i i will still say the cincinnati game wasn't pretty from an execution standpoint the results were 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 great um don't confuse pretty with exciting uh they're different yeah. very exciting game it was not a pretty game uh, it should never have been as close as it was right, right but that that keeps fans in the seats for the game uh the wins and losses overall you know if ucf won by three touchdowns which they should have they should have they should have blown they should, this should not have been a close game right uh would have been just as valuable as this as the as the four point result from but, standpoint uh, yes. long term yeah, you but I will get say the win. there's something about that. The, I agree with what you're saying, but I think the fact that it was such a dramatic game, we have fans remember dramatic games, dramatic finishes more than blowouts. And it's people, a short-term thing, though. That's a short-term thing. No, but no, but that it. could that could mean people like, hey, I'm gonna. That's how people get hooked on like te- their favorite teams. It's like that specific gamer moment. There's, uh, I just I was on with Mark Moses. He says that's the best game, one of the best. He was with his dad. He said it's one of the best experiences he's ever had in his life was being in that game. He said, listening to Jeff doing the PA. I mean, that's experience in itself, as you now know, Drew. Now you know why, by the way, Drew, he didn't say hello to you in the press box because he's hanging out with RG3. So now no, he, he came by at halftime. When, there we go. When, when yeah. Robert Griffin III is too busy doing something else. That's when he came by to visit <laughs> Jesus us. Jesus Christ. I mean, he's big. Yeah, I, Jeff is such a big man on campus. Well, win a Heisman, Drew, and then you'll get, you know, you'll get, you know, you'll get pregame uh, attention if you win a Heisman. Yeah. And never mind the Heisman. Show up to Spirit Splash. I mean, geez. Wow. Yeah. No, no. Face plant. It's spirit splash <laughs> <laughs> on camera I, for everyone to see. <laughs> I um, let's I it, it in all in all seriousness though this is this is where you know I, I hope that UCF fans and and I as one of them and I'm under no illusions about this like this is now okay it's time to get serious and. Like you guys said, this is there's going to be an adjustment period. It's going to be painful at times. Um, but the one thing that I think we have going for us, and 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 Eric DeSalvo pops this out there on social media quite often, and I love the fact that he does this because it's a reminder of where we are right now. This is a very young alumni base. And the one thing about very young alumni bases is they get older. And as you get older, you have more disposable income. And when you have more disposable income, you are more inclined to donate said disposable income to causes you like experience. Uh, Yeah. Well, (laughs) it's maybe not right now, but, uh, (laughs) but, you know, but I donate my time for sure. And you make a valid point. Uh, Terry actually mentioned that on an interview and he said, you know, the average age is 38 and we have this uh, and we as UCF, uh, because we're all alums have the second largest alum base in the country uh, as far as living alum, you know, there's over 200,000. Mm-hmm. That's partly because the school's growing so much. And the average age is under 40. Yeah. I, I, there's, again, it goes back to all UCF fans ever wanted was a shot. Give us well, a shot. Let us prove are. it. Here and we are. You now have leadership 
uh, not only within UCF, but within the Big 12 that had the foresight to realize, hey, there's a lot of alums here and mm-hmm. they're young. And you're right. They're going to get older. They're going to have more money. They're going to have kids. You're going to have generational at that point. We're going to direct them to UCF. You know, it's, it's you know, the, the schools like Florida had the 100 year head start. Same idea. It's just was, starting later. I was just Big trying to look season. for, I was trying to look for average age of alumni basically where can we probably get some of that information i mean if i find more better information i'll get it but i mean terry um, said on this interview it was uh it was 38 so yeah I, no well yeah but before. i'm talking about but i'm talking about other schools just because we have nothing to compare it by but i'll give i'll give you this indiana university all right middling big 10 team 38 percent of their alumni 38 percent are between the ages of 56 and 74, 23% are between the ages of 35 and 55. So that's 50, 61% between the ages of 35 and 74. All right. Are, if I, I don't know what the age brackets are for UCF, but I'll guarantee you the, those are not, it, it doesn't skew to 56 and 74. I'll tell you that. No, not even close. Yeah. So, um, so we have, the, it, it is buying low to sell high, I think, you know, to quote um, trading places, but it, but it is, it is an investment. Now we got to make the investment commensurate to that. So, all right, last little bit on this before we go, uh, before we take a break. Four corner schools, Eric. What's the story on this? Because, you know, obviously there's not as much of a financial incentive as there was, but it's still there. What's the next thing we got to look for? See what the Pac-12 deal is. Uh, that's, to me, a big factor there. What's the deal they get with ESPN, Amazon, or whoever? And I think this Gonzaga thing is also a big a part of this, too, because let's say Gonzaga decides to go to the Big 12. If you're Arizona, for example, which is a basketball school, you look at that and you're like, why are we here in the Pac-12 again? What, wait, what, where are we at from a basketball standpoint, let alone football? So I think those two things are connected. What is the Pac-12 deal with Amazon? Uh, are the Pac-12 schools comfortable with that? And then where does Gonzaga end up going? Uh, will I think will impact whether there's uh, movement or no movement whatsoever. And, yeah. and something to, to keep in mind is, you know, especially with any school moving conferences, is the dollar figures that come with it. Mm-hmm. And and part of the thing that we saw with with the ESPN report was how they're going to fund this because this actually doesn't kick that pro rata in or anything like that. They're actually talking about using the buyout money from Oklahoma and Texas to fund Gonzaga like eight mil a year as a basketball. That's a huge increase over what you're getting in the West coast conference. That does, they'll then join in sharing the NCAA credits from, from the other sports. Cause it basically would join for all sports outside of football. And it doesn't impact from a financial standpoint, your media deal whatsoever. And I think this is smart because this prevents you from having to renegotiate. You don't have to go back to the table. You can maintain that $36 you know, million, whatever the exact number was, uh, you know, per school. Uh, you, you can, you're protected. It's, it's basically using house money to bring in one of the best basketball schools in the country, elevate the profile of the already top basketball conference in the country, 
and you give them enough time that they acclimate within the conference that they now contribute to the value in the next contract. This, this is playing chess. This is 3D chess right here. Uh, this was an incredibly smart move, and, and there's no risk uh, to the television partners. Only reward. This makes them happier. This improves relations. I mean, this it's a win-win for everybody. Because the truth is, you know, I think what's it, eighty million dollars worth of buyouts for each Oklahoma and Texas as part of their their exit fee. Uh, you know, you stash that money away, take half of it. All right, we'll pay Gonzaga eight mil for you know through the life of the contract, maybe nine, and then we'll renegotiate our new deal when the contract expires, and and they'll be part of the package. It's it's absolute genius. And, you know, an odd number is not a bad thing for basketball and other sports. It's actually good. It's good for every sport except football, uh, you know, because you you have you now have even schedule. Uh, so I, it's it's a win win for everybody involved. Uh, mm. If Gonzaga joins. The, the... Well, let me play. Let me let me play devil's advocate. I agree with what you're saying, Drew, but let me ask you both this because people okay. have asked me this question. And Jeff, I think you, you even follow this closely. Some people have pointed out. Is this a good idea to add an outsider that's only going to, you know, is going to play in the, you know, basketball, doesn't play football? Do we run the risk of becoming the Big East? What happened to them where they started adding these schools that some played football, some were only basketball schools? You have differences. I don't agree with, but I, and people have asked me that, so I wanted you to, to address that as far as, you know, that relationship, bringing in a school of Gonzaga that doesn't have football, but really is there for basketball, even though they will play other sports. Go ahead, Joe. I'll let you go first. Well, I think the answer is no. And the re and look at, you know, aside from what you've seen with the American and Wichita State, you, you have to remember as economies of scale. You're not talking, you know, the Big East was a 16-team conference that was 50-50 in yeah. agenda. You're talking about a situation now where it's 12 to 1. I mean, you so so that non-football and and the the established perp, you know, um, pecking order is going to already be they know football drives the gravy trade uh, there's no doubt about it it's not like the big east that started as a non-bat a non-football conference that eventually added football and then you had the conflicting you know uh, agendas there that's not the case here uh, so i don't think that's really in the realm of possibility you would have to do a major overhaul of the membership ring all these non-basketball uh pro you know non sorry non-football programs and to be able to tip the scale at all uh, i actually think the part that's missing is you mentioned arizona Arizona's going to need a partner and it's not gonzaga they're going to need another school another football school to come in they can't come in on their own even with gonzaga there yeah. i think that's the bigger the, the, the bigger topic I, I think you I think you hit the nail right on the head with talking about how the Big East was at 1.5050 because those those basketball schools remember the Big East was founded as a basketball conference it didn't have football for 10 years all right so the basketball schools the Providences the they well you could say Syracuse also but you know but George you know Providence Georgetown St John's you know at the time they they thought you know, who the hell they were. They were like, we drive the bus in the Big East. People watch the Big East tournament at Madison Square Garden. Nobody cares about Big East football uh, unless Miami's good. Um, and so that's why they threw their weight around. There was more of them, and they had the cultural cachet. The Gonzaga situation is much different. Yes, it's a Catholic school in Spokane, Washington that doesn't play football. But assuming Gonzaga comes in, they know that, yeah, sir, they're here to compete 
in the sports that they're in, but they also understand where their place is in terms of the football, basketball pecking order. They are here to compete at an extraordinarily high level, much higher in basketball than they were in the West Coast Conference, where they would occasionally be challenged by by the likes of St. Mary's and pretty much nobody else. So I don't see this as a problem. You are not inviting in a bunch of schools who think they are suddenly going to rule the roost. You're inviting one school who competes extremely well in this one thing. And by the way, we already have an example of how this can work really well. The American Athletic Conference. Because Wichita State, for the adjustment period that they've had, has been a good member of the American, despite the fact that they don't have football, Ted Lasso aside. The, you know, and yeah, you have Navy in as an affiliate member. I don't think you need to bring in a, an affiliate football member at all into the Big 12. I think it works just fine with 13 schools at the moment because you can play 12, you can play up to 24 conference games or you could play, you know, 12, uh, you could play, you know, uh, 12 divisional opponents home and home and six more in a different situation. But I think this thing works. I, 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 and, and if they're able to pull this off, and bring Gonzaga in, I tell you what, man, this bat, it's going to be a blast watching this level of competition. And my hope is that we as a program at UCF are finally are, are going to step it up as a program, as a fan base, as a donor base, and really get, and, and get the impetus going to compete at that level. Because as somebody, as somebody who with Big Twelve connections, who I from one of the SB Nation sites, joked with me about, they're like, you know, something in this new conference, you could win fifteen games and get an at large. And he's <laughs> just right. based on the, the Ken Palm ratings. Net alone. ratings <laughs> and he's right. That's the net rankings are going to be absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, jeez, uh, how, how many zero to one loss non-conference schedules will you see coming into conference play? I mean, you could have three, four teams with maybe one loss at the most. Yeah. I mean, that's insane. I know. Yeah. But, I that, but again, it's another example that UCF as far as financially trying to raise up because Gonzaga's all in on basketball. And, and I know some fans want to say, well, wait a minute, St. Peter's makes these runs like they're in an equal playing field within their conference budget wise. Once you get to a tournament, it's a game on, you know, anything can happen. But when you're talking about a duration of 30 games a season with recruiting investments, it, it's, 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 a, there's a gap there. I mean, there's not, it's not an accident that Houston and Memphis have been the top programs in basketball here the last few years. The fact that UCF has been competitive with them, I think has been a positive. I'm not saying that a, NCAA tournament shouldn't be expectations. In fact, going to the Big 12, there's more room for air. But if you want to be serious about basketball, you have to spend money, just well, like you do you in make football. A, you make a valid comment on that because the, the investment, you know, you could have a run here and there. You know, UCF had one. You, know, you could have a run here and there, but that kind of investment is what creates the sustainability of the program. UCF doesn't have the sustainability, and we, we watched it in real time. You know, they made the, the run in, at the NIT, then they made the run at the NCAA tournament, falling just short against Duke. And then the sustainability or lack of kicked in and they're, they weren't able to retool. And now you see a, a, a middling program again. Uh, so we're, we're going to see a lot of losses. Uh, let's be honest. 
you're going to have to grit and deal with it. I think it's going to buy. It's going to give some job security to Johnny Dawkins. He knows what he's he's. Why do you need to throw the women's basketball too? Uh, Well, yeah. Well, they had to hit the reset button. They had to hit. You know, they had to hit a hard reset. uh, Almost no holdovers from last year's team. Whole new coaching staff. I mean, it's better that it happened this year than Mm -hmm. next year because now you got one year of the rebuild. That's Um, that would be that would be brutal. All right. So our next, so just to wrap up the segment real quick, our next thing that we got to look at in how this all shakes out, Eric, Pac-12 contracts under negotiation. We'll see what that comes up with. Yep. And then it's, and then we'll who knows what, what happens decides. next. Yeah, what does Gonzaga want to do uh, for their department? You know, that'll be interesting. So those two still look conferences. For, yeah, the Fox thing could happen again, according to uh, John Aran and his podcast. Could be around Thanksgiving. We might hear something around Thanksgiving, maybe December about what Fox decides to do. All right. Stick around. We get back. We get to preview women's soccer. Yeah. Tournament happening. Semifinals taking place at UCF. The Knights are the one seed. We'll take a look at that. Also, men's soccer wrapping up their season updates on volleyball, too. And we get back. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Stick around. We are back here on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez with you talking about the world of UCF sports. And it is a big weekend. Eric? The first of our postseasons is beginning, and it's women's soccer. First, we got to update you on what this team did because after clinching the American uh, regular season title, they then went to South Florida and won yet again, two to nothing, and uh, which was just fantastic. And uh, now, obviously, they host the women's soccer championship. Uh, they will face a familiar foe, the Memphis Tigers, Thursday, November third. That's Later tonight, if you're listening to this, uh, from when we were uh, recording at 7 p.m., SMU faces South Florida at 4 p.m. here in Orlando. It's all at the UCF Track and Soccer Complex. And UCF, by the way, um, swept the uh, – or, or didn't sweep the awards, but they uh, but they they won the bulk of them for the postseason awards in the American. Kristen Scott, Offensive Player of the Year. I think that's pretty mu- that was pretty much expected. Caroline Delisle won Goalkeeper of the Year yet again uh she uh, uh by the way this is the fifth time that ucf that a ucf player has won the goalkeeper of the year award um her second uh ucf won the coaching staff of the year no surprise there all conference first teamers delisle diana martin daria rajai Kristen scott and uh, georgia eaton collins won all conference second team mia asenho won uh, all rookie team and she was the only unanimous selection so what a year for UCF women's soccer and their reward is facing uh the Memphis Tigers who uh earlier this year I'm actually just checking this for UCF they uh drew Memphis scoreless, scoreless in yeah. their in the, it was the conference opener way back on September 15th but Kristen Scott did not play in that game correct if I'm not mistaken so correct. so this is a different team that that Memphis is playing here Chance for the conference tournament championship game on the line. Uh, if UCF can get through it, uh, your expectations uh, for the semifinals on Thursday with this uh, championship on Sunday now, Eric. Well, there's a lot of history with these two schools, as you know, going back to CUSA days, they've played for championships. Uh, they, this is the, the, this could be the last time they ever play. They played last year. Remember Memphis ended UCF season last year in the opening mm-hmm. round of the conference tournament in Memphis. UCF could return the favor here if they beat Memphis and and Memphis season. Because you look at the four teams you mentioned, UCF I think is safely in the tournament. 
NCAA, regardless of yep. what happens this weekend. I R- the- RPI's 19, so. Oh, they moved up even more. All right, cool. Yeah. Uh, that's unbelievable. So, really, what UCF's playing for here is a possibility, if they were to win this conference tournament, I think they would lock up hosting at least a first-round match because uh, in women's soccer, the top 32 seeds, and this is worthy, we're going to re- repeat this in the following weeks, women's volleyball and women's soccer this year will see the top 32 teams. In women's soccer, what's significant about that is the top 32 always will host a first-round match. So UCF can lock that up. They don't necessarily have to win the tournament to host, but I think it would pretty much put it in cement. And if they were to win the conference tournament, they might get in the conversation as maybe a top 16 seed. But Memphis is tricky. Memphis knows they have to win this conference tournament to get in. It's going to be a tough match. I'm curious to see how UCF comes out with that. Everybody else in this conference tournament probably has to win the tournament to get in. Maybe SMU, if they were to beat South Florida and get to the final against UCF, maybe that's enough for them to get in. They're in the RPIs in the 40s. But for UCF is, think about this, Jeffrey. Nine years ago, the first ever American Athletic Conference Championship was held here for women's soccer. UCF won it on penalty kicks against Rutgers. That's right. Wow. Rutgers was in this league. I thought you were going to say Memphis. I, I, I would, I would have Rutgers, yeah. True. Rutgers. Can Coach Sahadak and the Knights repeat, you know, end their run in the American Athletic Conference the way it started with a conference tournament championship? Remember, we had her on the show before the year. That was the goal. They, they have this opportunity here. But it will not be easy. Uh, no. I, I don't take Memphis granted because of the history there. They, that's a really ta- always well-coached team. So And then South Florida and SMU on the other side of the bracket. Uh, South Florida, they are the, they've won many conference championships. And then SMU is very talented team. So I, this will be a fun tournament. I think if you get to, you know, if, if UCF stays in that 20 range, you're probably playing someone, you, you probably could go out West to face like Oregon. Um, uh, oh, wait a minute. No, I'm looking at the wrong thing. Um, yeah, you well, probably Chris you, Henderson. You could face, you could face Northwestern. You could face South Carolina. Right. Harvard is a possibility too, right? Uh, Arizona. It could be mm-hmm. anybody. I mean, that's traveling in the first round. Chris Henderson, who covers women's soccer on a daily basis, and his latest projections has UCF as a 60. Now, the way they're going to do this with the top 32 seeds in volleyball and soccer is they're going to seed them one through eight for four regions. I don't know mm-hmm. why they don't just seed them one straight up to 32 like they do in men's basketball, but I don't make the rules on that. One through eight. They have He has them playing Arizona as a three versus six. I in believe. Tucson? Uh, no, no, UCF would go oh, here. Okay. Yeah, like UCF would be uh, the sixth seed. Arizona would be unseeded. Ah, and then okay. remember, if you win your first round game, you're going to go to the second round and the third round will be hosted by the top uh, national seeds okay. uh, there. But by the way, selection show 3.30 on Monday. All right. So we will keep an eye, very close eye uh, on that. This UCF team has won seven games in a row since a 2-2 tie at Texas, by the way. They were, what was it, Eric? They were 2-2-4 and after the tie in Austin and since then have ripped off seven in a row. So that tells you how hot they're one of the hottest teams in the country right now. There's no doubt. Ranked 20th in the country as a result, by the way, in the polls. Right. So uh, women's, uh, so that's that's it on women's soccer. So they're going to be playing again Thursday night uh, at 7 p.m against memphis if you're heading to the track and soccer complex make sure you make sure you're coming out because it's going to be a wild atmosphere you're going to see some good soccer there too uh men's soccer uh not so fortunate um 
they came into the final day of the regular season, which was yesterday, Wednesday, November the 2nd. Uh, they needed a win and some help, and they didn't get what they needed to do. Uh, first of all, they were playing South Florida on senior night. They needed to beat South Florida. Draw would have done them no good. They needed to beat South Florida, and then they needed, was it FAU to lose to FIU? Is that if that's correct? Correct, correct. FAU to lose, which happened. FIU which beat happened. FAU. Which was expected, but it happened. UCF came up short against South Florida. They were, da- they were scoreless at the half. They fell down to nothing. Uh, got one late. Nearly got a tying score, uh, a tying goal late as well from Luca Dorado, but they couldn't get it done. And so UCF men's soccer, their season is in all likelihood, unfortunately over because they're six and seven, three and six in the conference. They missed the conference tournament because they are not in the top six. Like we said, in order to get that six seed, they needed to win and then get some help. And they didn't get that. And uh, their RPI right now, not good enough to make the NCAA tournament. So it's likely that they no, they're be, not. that. They're, they're, so, they so they're, so they're, they're done in this one wild year in the America. We were talking about it at the start of the season, Eric, too, like this. We just didn't know what we were going to get from the league this year. And we ended up getting a very competitive league uh, indeed, because you know, you, uh, I'm sure that they look back at the losses to FAU two to one back on October 1st. Uh, and then that three, one loss at UAB, that one I think probably hurt the most because they they were coming off that three one win at FIU they were riding high and just didn't get the job done. I think if you flip those two results, they get in. They get in, in the, the conference, conference tournament and they're and they're yeah. better seated than six too. I mean that's six Correct. points that they left on the board. And I think Correct. they got to be you know and 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 listen that's you know not an excuse but it is a reason this conference is wild this year. Charlotte uh, just barely snuck in. Got in because FAU and UCF both lost. Right. So they won. They beat Temple. So they'll and, play South And they're Florida ranked. Games. They're ranked. ranked and they Florida. needed help yep. to get into the conference tournament. That's how crazy this league well, is. Well, it's the third year. strongest league, according to the RPI, the third strongest league in men's soccer. That uh, kind of killed UCF. They didn't have the depth. You know, we've talked about right. women's soccer having the depth, how they finished strong. Men's soccer went two and five their last seven, uh, starting with that FAU match post-hurricane. Yeah. And the injuries. Line, the injuries. Backline had some yeah. injuries. They were shorthanded. Gino Vivi had a red card against Tulsa, so he in their loss at Tulsa, so he didn't. He was not available to play against South Florida. Just, just didn't uh, have the depth. And that's we're gonna hear that word depth. Get used to it. When all these teams go to the Big Twelve and when men's soccer, they're gonna go to the Sun Belt. You need depth because mm-hmm. you're if otherwise it, things start going south. And I think that's what happened with this team. So. I know, you know, Coach Calabrese, the press conference is on our YouTube channel right now. We recommend listening to that because it was emotional for him. I think, he, and you can even tell if you watch the broadcast, his facial reactions, it just, it was a year that went south and it happens and uh, yeah. they'll have to regroup, have to replace some pieces and try to build some depth because it's not going to get easier. This is their last year in the American. Now they're going to the Sun Belt, which is supposed to be just as strong as the American was this year. Yeah. I mean, look at the Sun, the sun Belt as well. Uh, heading into next year, uh, you know, you're going from, you know, one crazy conference with about w- with a few teams that you're familiar with to another crazy conference with no teams that you're familiar with. Because uh, now let's just take a look at what the what the Sun Belt has right now. All right, Kentucky, current RPI second. All right, uh, what else do we have? We have uh, you know you got West Virginia, you got Marsh, Georgia State, James Madison, Coastal Carolina. 
Georgia Southern, South Carolina, Old Dominion. These are all schools that have, you know, obviously tradition in soccer, but the Sun Belt has positioned itself, as we've said before, to be yeah. a sort of, uh, they want to be like the SEC of men's soccer. And the addition of UCF actually does help them achieve that. Marshall's the 24th right now uh, in the RPI. Uh, let's see. What else do we have? I'm just I'm just going right down the line here. Well, the bottom line is. Coastal's you're, you're 41. Have to build- yeah. Uh, Georgia State's 45. So be- yeah. This yeah. Is they're probably going to be two to three bid league. I mean, the America will be a three bid league. But, like, they got to build depth. They got to build depth. They were not consistent. Uh so that those are things that they're going to have to address as they get into the Sun Belt. Maybe the maybe the this going through this year in the America will help them succeed longer uh, in the Sun Belt. Yeah. So all right. Congrats to Scott Carr, who will be now part of a fourth American Athletic Conference men's soccer hosting as FIU will be hosting the tournament. Scott obviously was at UCF when men's soccer hosted a bunch of time, the three previous times. So he, so the American, if you want men's soccer to host a conference championship in the American, just Scott yeah, Carr. Just get Scott Carr. Yeah. yeah that, he'll help you out. <laughs> uh, congrats to Scott though. He's, he's, he's great. And, 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 you know, I know he's been working really hard at trying to, get FIU to where, you know, I think a lot of us and myself included think FIU should be as a program. It's, it's a long haul, but if anyone can pull it off, it's Scott. So congrats to Scott Carr, former UCF associate AD. Let's go to volleyball. Seven wins in a row. Now they were on the road back uh, again, facing Tulsa and Wichita on the road. Now, remember if that sounds familiar, remember when the hurricane came through, they, they uh, very quickly organized uh, a road trip out to Wichita to face Tulsa and Wichita back in uh, back when you know, when the hurricane hit and swept them both on that weekend. That was supposed to be at home. They played them on the road, but Wichita and Tulsa did not want to return the favor and come to Orlando late in October. So we ended up having to go to Tulsa last Friday and to Wichita on Sunday and handled them both again in four. So um, the situation, but now coming back home. UCF has now got uh, five remaining home matches, including uh, this Friday against SMU. And uh, we're going to have some more Ring of Honor inductees, by the way, on Friday, too. But uh, <clears throat> Delana Sarden is going to be inducted into the Ring of Honor. Um, but, you know, most importantly, you know, uh, UCF finds themselves in the rather unfamiliar position of having to keep pace in the volleyball standings. Because remember, they lost that match to Houston. Knights are 11-1 and in the conference, 19-1 and overall. Houston is 22-2 and overall, 13-0 and in the conference. Uh, their last loss was back on September 15th, and they are <laughs> at Cincinnati um, this weekend. So, uh, or... Yeah, Friday. They're, That's they're correct. At yeah, they just beat Tulane. So. They just beat Tulane in straight sets on Wednesday yep. where Simone Biles went to see them play. Yeah. Simone Biles. What? I know. Man. Why can't we get, like, we, we need to get somebody in here. Who, who do we, who's, like, the UCF equivalent of Simone Biles? Phil Dalhauser? Gotta get, well, Phil, Phil's, been, Phil's been at UCF volleyball before. That Phil, hurt. come on down, man. We somebody, gotta, we, I, I was blown away by that. But to so, your point. They're chasing Houston down. And, of course, those two teams will play again on Black Friday at the venue. Yeah. But you got to keep pace. And this weekend, SMU, Friday night, that's a tricky match. Where SMU's 10-2 in the league, 55 in the RPI. If they want to be a uh, – in the, they still can be in the mix for this conference title race, but they're mm-hmm. going to have to upset UCF and or Houston 
on the road. They lost to both UCF and Houston earlier this year at home. There were three sets to UCF. Yeah. They're going to need to pick up some wins here if they want to be a third team to get to the NCAA tournament from the league. So I think SMU Friday night's a tricky match from that standpoint because I think SMU knows they're playing for their postseason lives on Friday night. Yeah. And then they're Memphis- kind of the odd person out too, right? Because yeah. we mentioned yeah. Houston at 13 and 0, UCF 11 and 1, SMU yep. 10 and 2. Fourth place is Memphis at 7 and 5. So it's really those three schools, UCF, Houston, SMU. Uh, who are in who are in I, you you believe for the running for two spots in the tournament right right now it's two unless SMU upsets UCF and in, in, in Houston they don't have the marquee resume wins a UCF win and a, or a Houston would help them there but otherwise we're looking at a two-bid league and again the question is is there a stumbling block with UCF or Houston between now and Black Friday this could be the last stumbling block for UCF on paper before Black Friday Houston still has to go to Wichita State, that could be a stumbling mm-hmm. block. They still have to host SMU later in the year. Uh, that could be some of the matches that could affect the results. Otherwise, we could have a mega powers matchup on Black Friday between UCF and Houston. Well, Two top 25 teams with a lot to play for. Well, here's 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 the trick, and I was looking at this too, Eric. It's, it's not just those single matches, right? But I think it's the just the overall conclusion to the season. Houston finishes with five of their last seven on the road at Cincinnati, at Tulsa, Wichita, at South Florida. That shouldn't be a problem uh, at UCF. Their only home matches are against Memphis and SMU. UCF schedule. Meanwhile, they have five of their last eight at home. Their only road matches at South Florida, at ECU, at Temple, uh, home for Tulane, Houston, Cincinnati, Memphis, SMU. So, a little bit of advantage there for UCF because like your road matches as UCF knows, you just never know what you're going to get, right? We didn't know what we were going to get against Houston uh, when we were playing there and it came up and hit and, and hit UCF right in the face. So let's see how this last little month here plays out. You know, it's between now and Thanksgiving. Yeah, Like you said, race to the finish line. We may see this thing come down to Black Friday indeed. You could have the conference championship at stake perhaps hosting possibilities both teams in the mix to host houston's inside the top 16 rpi ucf mm-hmm. 19 on the outside i think there's about three hosting spots wide open that's probably going to be between ucf houston marquette creighton penn state georgia tech uh and usc i think those teams are fighting for three hosting spots i think florida is a lock to host you're not going to catch florida in the rpi they're on their way to winning the sec i think they're a lot to host other schools the powerhouses are going to the traditionals are going to host so UCF and Houston, if one of them were to win out and win the league, maybe they sneak into as a 15 or a 16 seed and host. We'll see. Mm. But they got a you know, long ways to go. You know, Houston's in an interesting position where Rice is 16th in the RPI. Houston's 13th in the RPI. I think what I think whichever of those two comes out on top, assuming all things stay equal, is going to host. So Houston's kind of in this well, you, in this position right now where like that you never know right you're absolutely right but Houston is in this position where if they want to host they're not just looking over their shoulder at UCF they're looking over their shoulder at Rice I think don't you think right and remember and we mentioned this earlier this year for the first time volleyball will be seeding the top 32 teams not just 16 they're going to see them one through eight in four regions. So in theory, that should eliminate the predictability of, quote, the two seed in a regional going busing to a certain region. In other words, 
it should eliminate it should not mean that Houston's automatically going to Texas for example but they could go to Baylor who I think yeah. will host and uh, barring a collapse but, of some kind it, it that it's th- that drops the likelihood of UCF having to go to Gainesville again right it should, in unless theory. your conspiracy theories could suggest, hey, they manip- Hey, what a coincidence. UCF's a 20 seed and Florida's a 13. It just happened to match up well together. But yes, that should make this not as predictable. Uh, they're doing it for this year. They want to see how it is an experiment. They want to see how it goes. We'll see what the feedback is. And I think volleyball will be a big test on this. Will, it, it, will this happen in the other sports? We're going to, and there's going to be a lot of scrutiny, I think, on the top 32 seats. So I think the committee is going to try to seed this legitimately because they know that, that all eyes are on them. And if you see anything fishy on the seedings, people are going to call them out for it. So I, at this point, I don't see UCF going to Florida because of that. But that also may not be a great thing either because who knows where UCF could go? They could go to a Big Ten school. That's not good either. So, I mean, it, 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 it's, but again, a lot of volleyball to go. If UCF beats SMU real quick Friday night, Todd Dagenet picks up his 300th win at UCF. Yep. He continues to set new – every win gives him a new record for UCF's winning as coach now at this point. That's that's what's fantastic about that. So don't want to prematurely congratulate Todd because he'd get mad at me if I did. But, uh, but you know, yeah, that's another little milestone at stake. One more bit. Uh, cross country uh, at the uh, American Athletic Conference uh, Championships, they finished up – uh, their season this year uh, didn't see any winners on that one for UCF, but uh, you know this is uh, Tulane or excuse me Tulsa won the c- cross country championship for the uh, for the, uh, on the women's side for the fourth consecutive time, and their men claimed a ninth straight cross country title. How about that cross country uh, cross country championship for Tulsa, their ninth consecutive. Uh, I just wanted to see if I could pull up the results here real quick for, um, for, uh, for UCF. No more Tulsa, thankfully. Yeah, I don't have to worry about them anymore. red-carded guys in the last game in Tulsa. Cross-country didn't, you know, so it is. Yeah, but uh, UCF finished in eighth to finish out their run in the uh, American in cross-country before they go to the Big 12. Top finisher for UCF was Penelope Sosa, uh, who finished in 23rd. Uh, and, uh, also, uh, let's see who else. Oh, Lillian Holtery, uh, finished, uh, in 25th. So two top 25 results there for UCF. Um, yeah, so, um, probably not exactly what UCF was hoping for, but congrats to the team on finishing up. That was in the women's six K, uh, in the, yeah. So that was in, uh, that was the, remember they only do the six K for the Americans. So. Uh, and that pretty much finishes it up for uh, UCF. Uh, and it, well, that actually cross country was the first UCF team to finish their run in the American. Think about that. Yeah, we're, gonna, we're, we're getting the rundown, it. and now men's soccer's done. And uh, so, yeah, we're we're starting to kind of get kind of kind of start crossing yeah. off here. It's kind of yeah. wild. So uh, again, just to recap the uh, schedule for for you here. Uh, women's soccer against Memphis Thursday night, 7 p.m. The American Athletic Conference semis at home. Uh, we'll also see you also see that on uh, ESPN Plus as well. Uh, Friday, volleyball plays SMU at home at seven. Uh, Saturday, football at Memphis as well, 3:30 p.m. ESPN two. Beth Moens is on the call along with former Oakland Raider Kirk Morrison, and then. Uh, uh, 
Sunday, you have volleyball against Memphis at one. And possibly, if UCF gets through, the American Athletic Conference championship game uh, for women's soccer at 1 p.m. across from them as well on Sunday. And then so. Monday, 3.30, uh, selection show, women's soccer. Mm-hmm. We'll find out UCF's destination. And then basketball season, basketball. women's and men's opener. We haven't even talked about that. I know. We're going to have our we're gonna have our full preview. I think we're going to do it this weekend, Eric. We're going to get it up this weekend. We're going to do a full okay. basketball preview. We're going to have Kyle Nash coming to talk about both uh, both teams uh, as they prepare for the season. And I don't remember the last time we had a double header to start the basketball season. Do you? No, not for, uh, they might've had, no, I don't it know. It might happen in like the conference USA days, possibly. I don't know. Maybe not. I don't know about that far back, but maybe, I mean, that's po- I, no, I'm, no. Eh, it's tricky. We'll have to look that up. We'll have the answers Whip, for the basketball. Show. Women's hoops against Winthrop at six on Monday, followed by the men against UNC Asheville, uh, as well. And uh, yeah, that's just like that. We are off and running uh, in this uh, in this basketball season for UCF. It's pretty wild. And then don't forget volleyball, of course, at South Florida Wednesday night, 7 p.m. If you're in Tampa, you're a night fan. Head down to the corral, cheer on the Knights as they t- as they face South Florida. So that'll do it for us here on Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Uh, make sure you follow us on all your social media channels. We are on Facebook, facebook.com slash Black and Gold Banneret. We are on Instagram at Black and Gold Banneret. Twitter, UCF Banneret underscore SBN. Uh, you can follow us uh, all individually there as well. I'm at Jeff underscore Sharon. Eric is at Eric Lopez Elo. Don't forget to follow Stat Boy Drew. Kyle's at the student, uh, uh, the SOTG for the student of the game. Bryson Turner, it's Bryson Turner, of course. Derek Warden as well, underscore DS Warden. And Noah Goldberg at the Noah Goldberg. Also, hit up our YouTube channel. We will be on with Night Shift after the Memphis game. Is that right, Eric? That's the that's the goal. Yep. That's Immediately the goal. following the uh, uh, game up in Memphis, so that should be. Hopefully, we'll get a double a a a road W. You know, a, 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 is it Drew brought up a great point that uh, Gus Malzahn at UCF only one and five outside Correct. the state of Florida. So, last trip to Memphis, last two games been decided by a point. Is that so. is that a song by the way? Last train to Memphis or something like that. If it is, I wouldn't be. I'm not familiar with it. That's not the my. That's not the tunes I tune into. But maybe last train, last train to Memphis, the rise of Elvis Presley. Yeah, so that's right. Um, so yeah, and that will fit. And and of course, stay with us for knee jerk reactions as well as well as coverage of the American Athletic Conference women's soccer and our YouTube channel. Season. Lots of basketball interviews yep. from media days. Uh, check that out. Let's get you set for Monday. We'll have a lot of basketball coverage coming up there as soon. I know you're getting your vocal cords ready for that doubleheader basketball. I know I got the double. Hey, we got volleyball, yeah. uh, and, on Friday. And Mick Fitzgerald uh, being honored to the ring Mick of honor. And Delana Sarden too. Are they the same and night? I think, I believe they are. I have to double. They're, I know they're this weekend. So yeah, yeah they they're are both going in. And, uh, it, yeah, come to both matches and you'll see at least one of them. The uh, and then in addition, the, the doubleheader for basketball on Monday. So it's going to be a busy, busy weekend, busy weekend for all of us here as we enter the fall sports equinox. Eric, here we go. That's the best time. Let's do it. All right, for all of us here at Black and Gold Banneret, for Eric Lopez, I'm Jeff Sharon saying thank you so much for listening. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. Go Knights! Charge on! See you on Saturday night. <laughs>